Welcome to the Los Angeles Sentinel Daily Brief. This is where we talk Black and talk back to the headlines that are impacting the Black experience. I'm Neil Anderson, and here's what you need to know. Joining us today is Kevin Powell, acclaimed author, activist, original reality star, and he's a curator of the hip hop experience. He's here to discuss his new book entitled Grocery Shopping with My Mother. Welcome, Kevin Powell. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. I'm glad that you are here. Now, my first experience with reality TV was the real world. First season, New York City, 1990s, yeah, back in the day. Right. And uh, first experience to see somebody who was unapologetically black in a time where <laughs> that wasn't even a term. I remember thinking to myself, if I got on the show, maybe I could book some college gigs to speak and whatnot. Because I actually went to college with um, Beverly Bond from Black Girls Rock. I went to okay. college with Bill Bellamy, a comedian, and I went to college with Sister Soul, that was very close to her. She was getting a lot of, every time she was on TV, she would get uh, an opportunity to speak at a college. I was like, I make a little bit of money because I was a young writer at that time. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned and I was shocked that I got picked. But what I remember, because I had been in college mm-hmm. on the East Coast, Rutgers University, I was like, I'm not going to go in there shuffling job. I'm not going to do the stereotypical thing. I didn't know that I was going to say stuff about racism that right. had become part of our cultural history, but I just was like, I got to be my authentic self. It was a great show, great time, and pretty much opened the pathway for reality TV. I want the Kardashian money, though. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that. Well, um, let's talk about this new book, Grocery Shopping with My Mother. Talk to us about this book and what inspired it. This is my 15th book, Mm -hmm. um, which is a blessing. Some people know out there that I was a young writer at Vibe Magazine that Quincy Jones started back in the 90s, and I got to do a lot of great things, like interviews with Tupac Shakur and the whole Death Row clan and and other folks, but I was a poet also, and I was very much involved in the poetry scene in New York City, and actually was connected to a lot of folks here at the World Stage in L.A. even back then, and I came back to poetry because my mom got sick a couple years ago, and I had to take care of her, take her to the grocery store. She's better now. Thankfully, she's still with us, but um, in taking her to the grocery store, I started doing social media posts grocery shop my mother and little did I know people were responding to it because their folks were saying things to me like well, I lost my mom I lost my dad or uh, don't take this for granted you know that kind of stuff this is important what you're doing and it just grew and grew and as you know in the country we've lived through the Trump years we've lived right. through a lot of craziness George Floyd Breonna Taylor so all of that has found its way into this poetry book but it starts with my mom and just kind of grew from there so I kind of call it a poetic autobiography if that makes sense mm, it yeah. does did you learn anything from the book while you were writing it that for writing poetry is hard I wrote a lot of poems on the fly like when Cicely Tyson died I wrote a poem real fast when Sidney Poitier died I wrote a poem real fast so I realized I could write some poetry fast but sometimes writing in the bathroom in the backseat of a cab or mm-hmm. Uber or whatever I realized how much I miss poetry you know okay. what I mean like I've been blessed to I've written cover stories for all kinds of magazines. I really, really love poetry. Mm. And when you mentioned Post and Beam, it was, it was, it was you were there, it's a full house. I was like, they're here for a poetry book. This is this is humbling, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was, so I, it was and mm-hmm. the music was good. And next time I gotta eat the food though, cause I missed, I, I had a little bit of <laughs> the, the vegan that. crab cakes, but I missed, I just saw everybody else, even Malik ate, Malik ate well. <laughs> it was I'm a big fan of Post and Beam. Shout people. out to Post and Beam, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Black owned restaurant, gotta support them. Has your mother read the book? No, because I've been on the road. We, oh, okay. had, we had a, we're here in LA now. We had a big celebration in New York, and when I get back to New, to New to the East Coast, my mother still lives in New Jersey, where I was born and raised. But I live in 
Brooklyn, obviously. I'm in New York. Uh, I'm going to take a copy of the book. You know, uh, She's funny, though, because uh, my partner, shout out to my partner, took the cover of the book, the photo of the book. And my uh-huh. mother's like, we just showed a picture. And she was like, who's that on the cover with you? I was like, that's you, Mom. <laughs> But, you know, I would not be a writer if it wasn't for my mother because she, she gave me a love of words and reading as a child. She took me to the library when I was eight years old. I fell in love with books, and um, and she's the first storyteller I ever met. So I definitely – and an appreciation for language and how we speak. You were talking about it in your background, Grambling, how you went to school and you met black folks from all over the country. I mean, that's how I feel. Folks from Virginia, from California, from New York, we all have unique cultures, and I yeah. value that. And I try to bring that into my writing as a poet. I love that. Yeah. All right. So um, I want to talk to you about a couple of the poems okay. that I ran across. Um, and I want to talk about the inspiration behind it. Absolutely. Kobe Bryant. Whew. Like a lot of black males in this country, I was devastated when Kobe died. I was massive, still a massive fan of Kobe. I still go on YouTube and watch clips of him, not just before, uh, playing, but also uh, uh, clips of him speaking. Because you know, mm-hmm. as he got older and matured, he you know, became a force and just in, in inspiring people. Uh, I actually was at the Staples Center for the memorial in February 20th. You were there too. Mm-hmm. Wow. You got your Kobe pen? I, I got your you know, KB. I got your it. I'll do them better than that. Oh, you have, I have the t shirt too. I, I still got my Kobe t shirt. <laughs> okay. I happen, to, I happen to wear it today. I just wanted to honor him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I do believe that basketball is like an African ballet. That's what I refer to him as in the poem. And what I remember being there that day at Staples Center, you had people of all races, all generations out there. And I just wanted to write a piece that really paid homage to him and what he represented to so many people. And, um, you know, what I plan on doing with that poem that's in the poetry book uh, is actually make it into an animated short. Remember when he won the Oscar for his poem, mm-hmm. Dear Basketball? That's why my poem was titled Dear Kobe, because I want to make an animated film in tribute to him. All right. Next poem, Tupac and Biggie. I knew both of them very, very well. Man, I was in Vegas when Pop died. Obviously, I did three cover stories on Tupac for Vibe magazine, including the famous prison interview. A lot of folks will remember the Live from Death Row cover story where Suge, Dre, Tupac, and Snoop on the cover. I was actually on the set of the California Love video. I came out here. Went, got off the plane, went straight to the California Love video. Little did I know at that time, there was a three or four-year-old boy named Kendrick Lamar who was actually on that set as well, which is crazy. <laughs> and I just wrote about Kendrick's um, uh, new album, which I love for Oh, I'm crazy yeah. about that record. <laughs> I wrote about it. It's a, people can go to Complex.com. I wrote a piece about it. I, I got word from Kendrick and his people. They loved the article, you know, because I really wanted to kind of write something once about him. Because I think he's, to me, the most significant hip-hop artist that we've had in the last 10, 15 years. You know what I'm saying? I agree. But Tupac and Biggie, they were friends. Mm-hmm. And all this craziness happened and I was in Vegas and Pac died. I was actually home in Brooklyn when I got the call that Biggie had been killed out here and I literally after um, Biggie died I couldn't even go to the funeral. And I was, it was in Brooklyn. It was like, you know, there's all this energy about Biggie's funerals coming through Brooklyn. I was just depressed for a long time and so I wanted to write a poem, Tupac and Biggie, that paid homage to both of them mm-hmm. but also just why it's so crazy for us as black folks black men specifically to be killing each other we've literally in the last few years we've lost like a hundred rappers you know what right. i mean and so it's just still the ongoing thing of of, of are we going to have black self-love or black self-hatred and you know what happened to nipsey you know who i mm-hmm. referenced in a kobe poem it's like we can't we got to stop killing each other i'm not going to sit here and lie and say at some point in my life i wasn't violent because i was because i was taught like you know this is what it is to be a man and right. you know you got to be physical and all that stuff i mean that's crazy i mean men need to know how to express themselves mm-hmm. without resorting to violence and taking each other out or creating a climate that can encourage us being violent toward each other you mm-hmm. know 
And that's kind of one of the reasons why we um, started Black Men's Month yeah. in June. Why not that. celebrate black men every day in the month of June, uplift them, and talk about that, the, the positivity that, that you guys enhance and how you enhance our communities instead of the negative narrative all the time. I'm so glad you said that because our film is called When We Free the World. And uh, what's dope about it is we have an all-black male soundtrack. Um, um, people like Raheem Devon is on there, a lot mm -hmm. of new rappers and singers on there, Bilal's on there. But we also have... You know, like I grew up without a father, you know, and I have a poem in there that's a, a, a forgiveness poem to my father, finally, after all these years. But we also make sure that we have black fathers represented in this film, because this narrative that there's no black fathers is mm -hmm. a lie, you know what I mean? And this narrative that there's only certain types of black males is a lie. We have all kinds of black male expression right. in there, literally boys and men from age 10 to 90-something. And it's a really deep, deep dive into, like, what is a man, you know? And um and we ask hard questions, but the people are honest and vulnerable. And I can't wait to folks see this thing. But I agree with you. It's like, let's let's show us as whole human beings and let's lift us up. Because also, I mean, I'm a lifelong hip-hop head, obviously. But it's like, you know, I also listen to jazz, listen to blues. I listen right. to classical, listen to rock and roll. I'm a big Nirvana fan, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yo, why can't we show the diversity of the experiences of black manhood as opposed to this, like, one-dimensional thing? So we're talking a little bit about hip-hop. Hip-hop turns 50 next, next year. Isn't that crazy? But I want to get some comments for you about your thoughts on the state of hip-hop today and a comment made by 21 Savage. Which comment? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start with the first one. Nas is not relevant. That's what were your thoughts? It would be like, you know, somebody who's a jazz head saying, oh, Duke Ellington's is not relevant. You mm -hmm. know, uh, Quincy Jones ain't relevant. Billie Holiday, she's whack. You have to pay respect to people who came before you. I mean, you notice, here it is again. I came into the L.A. Sentinel office. I'm a journalist who came up in black newspapers, like the Amsterdam News on the East Coast, City Sun, Afro-American newspaper. So I'm coming in here respectfully because I understand the legacy of this newspaper, because I understand history and right. what this newspaper means to this community. But when you're disconnected from that history, you're going to say crazy stuff like Nas is not relevant. Meanwhile, you know, when my partner's from San Diego, where she grew up at, we saw Nas perform was it last summer with a symphony orchestra in San Diego and he destroyed it mm -hmm. I don't know how many rappers could do that you right. know what I mean or who actually have the body of work because the lifespan of most rappers is like two albums mm -hmm. that's it you know what I mean you I it was like a single nowadays word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry so part of what hip hop at 50 needs to be is people recognizing there's a whole hip hop culture and there's multiple generations there. And like, you don't have to diss people. Like, I would never diss young rappers. I don't do people always like, you know, especially, I mean, those of us who came of age in the 90s, some of us are starting to become our parents and acting like our parents. Like, yo, this stuff is whack. That's just because you don't like mumble rap, whatever. It's like, I'm not going to diss it. Years ago, when 50 Cent first came out in the 2000s, I was speaking at Rikers Island, the infamous prison where Tupac, where I did an interview with Tupac right. back in the day. And I said something that I should have said. I said, I don't really like 50 Cent. Man, them brothers in that front, they, they boo. But when I realized, Kev, 50 is their error. Mm -hmm. And he means something to them. And this is someone who also survived getting shot. And so he was like a superhero to them. And guess what, Kev? Probably a lot of them are just like you. They didn't grow up with father figures. So these rap icons, just like Kobe is a basketball icon, mean something to them. So right. my hope is that part of Hip Hop at 50 will be a, a introduction to 
hip-hop conversations and hip-hop history that needs to be shared with younger heads. And then also the older heads are being are willing to listen to some of the younger heads. What I say to people, let's make a distinction. Here's hip-hop culture. It's the DJ, MC, graffiti writing, the dance element, the fifth element of hip-hop is knowledge. And then it's the industry. You know, you and I both, you worked in radio. I worked at Vibe Magazine. That's the industry. And I think we need to be, make people understand that these both these things and understand where this came from. And like, you know, as, even though I'm an East Coast person, I'm a New York cat, I, I have enough sense to say, listen, when I was a kid coming of age in the 70s, I really now when I watch Soul Train reruns, they were doing hip-hop dances in the 70s on Soul Train. So, yep, hip-hop may have started in the Bronx, African-Americans, West Indians, Latinx folks, but there was also a parallel energy happening as early as the 70s right. in California as well. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I mean, it's just like, you know, how can I diss that? I have right. to acknowledge this was happening. And one of the people who hit me to that years ago, I interviewed, I've interviewed a lot of major rappers, but I remember I interviewed Ice-T. And what people don't realize, Ice-T was born on the East Coast, and just like the Will Smith character on The Fresh Prince, he came out to California. Mm -hmm. So he was actually a dancer in the 70s before he went to the military. Then he came back out. He became the OG Ice-T that we actually knew. <laughs> before I let you go, I want to do a top five with you. I'm going to uh -oh. say, I'm going <laughs> to just say a name or a word and you just give me your thoughts. Okay. Tupac. My next book is a biography of Tupac Shakur that people have been asking me to write or waiting for me to write since he died. Mm. And it's all it's it's gonna be done next year. It'll be out in 2024 finally. And I've been I, it's gonna be a deep dive. When I met Pac in Atlanta, almost it'll be 30 years ago, 1993. I mean, 1993, I met him. Um, it's funny how you introduced me because I was nervous to go introduce myself to him because I was a fan of his because of his music. Juice, obviously, his first performance, but I thought he killed. Pac had watched the real world. So he's a fan of mine. <laughs> we all watched the room. I had no idea. Remember, there was no social media back then. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know y'all was watching it. Yeah, we was watching And we was definitely not getting Kardashian money. I just want to throw that out there again. <laughs> again. <laughs> but that's how it started with us. And so Pac is my brother for life, no matter what. And mm -hmm. um, that was one of the saddest days of my life when um, I was in Vegas. I was actually sitting in my hotel room. Because mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. Because it was, you know, he let, he lived for seven days. I was actually watching Denzel Washington for the 50th time, probably, playing Malcolm X. And literally when Denzel Washington's character, Malcolm X, is going to the Audubon Ballroom, and we know what happened then, Malcolm got assassinated, I got the call, Kev, Pac just died, we got to get to the hospital. Wow. It was a deep day, man. I'll never forget that day. So, But rest in peace, Pac. Rest in peace of Fanny, his mother, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, much respect to his sister, Cetra who's actually living in New Orleans now, living in Louisiana. Mm. Yeah, last time I checked, yeah. Wow, okay, next name, Jay-Z. Jigga, Brooklyn all day, son, Brooklyn all day. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Jay-Z fan, just, just his rhymes. I mean, but also what I admire about what, what Jay and Dame Dash did was, you know, he got rejected by mad labels. People don't realize Jay didn't really get put on uh, until he was like 25, 26, which was kind of older. Mm -hmm. Back then, it's still kind of older for rappers. Most rappers are teenagers, early 20s, right. but they started their own record label, Rockefeller, and we know the rest is history. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, Jay is just a masterful rapper. I mean, of course, I think that Jay is a descendant of Biggie, and before that, my favorite rapper ever out of Brooklyn, Big Daddy Kane. So, it's like a through line Big Daddy Kane, Notorious mm -hmm. B.I.G., and Jay, but Jay's just a masterful wordplay, is how they call him. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar. Oh, my God. K. Dodd. Man, he's just different, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it's 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 like Kendrick did on this 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 album, you know, what we're doing with the black male film that's coming. Like, let me just open my soul up. 
Mm-hmm. Let me just be honest about everything. And I, I really appreciate it. In a lot of ways, I felt like the album was not just a hip-hop album. It was like it was a spoken word album. It's like a meditation. Mm-hmm. It's like church. Right. It's like therapy. <laughs> he got a few amens it, from me. Word. <laughs> What's your favorite song on uh, on the, the double CD or whatever wow. they're calling it now? Wow, that's a great question. Mine is Savior. I love Savior. Savior's a great song. I love that one. Wow. Count Me Out. Wow. Love it. <laughs> you really listen to this joint. I know, from top to bottom. Yeah. I even love the one, I forget the name of it, when he's going at it with the girl. When they argue with the, the, <laughs> the actress, the comedians. Yeah, they. <laughs> that was funny. I mean, that is that. black love in the hood all that day. Was black love in the hood. <laughs> that was Instagram, y'all. <laughs> Purple Hearts, love it from top to bottom. Word. I appreciate him. And he actually, he doesn't realize it. And I'll say it here. He helped me to think about how I write going forward because I'm like, you know, and that's what art should do is you mm-hmm. should inspire people. I'm sure you've been inspired by folks who you've listened to their music mm-hmm. scene and feel like, I want to do this with my career in this kind of way. And I was like, this is dope, man. Um, right, yeah. He even helped me with my daddy issues because I was raised without my father too. So, so I mean, he just spoke on a lot of things. Like you said, it's church, it's yeah, love, it's right. life, it's career. Yeah. He hit on everything. Yeah, I love it. Uh, two more words left. Reality TV. <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, you know what? When we did the, you know, we did the Real World Reunion episodes. Um, I watched it. I watched you. it. Uh huh. Yeah, and I mean, it was um, it was deep for me because I never had so many. I never thought I would have people say to me all these years later, "You were right." I had a lot of people hit me up on social media saying I watched you and I apologize for what I may have thought about you. I'm talking about mostly white folks for real. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine a black person getting apologized to. You know, but it was in the aftermath of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, all mm-hmm. that stuff that's happened the last couple of years. But, you know, I also learned how many of our, our people watched the show, which really touched my heart and said you were representing for us. You know, mm-hmm. we had never seen someone like you. And the things that people remember, you know, people were some people were like seven, eight years old. Some people were 12, 13 years old or they may have been teenagers or even college students. But like racism is race plus power. I can't tell you how many people said that. It's like, Ked, when you said that, you gave me my definition of racism. I, I just... I was a student rep on college. That's where I got it from. I was just like, you know, black people can't racist. Racist is about power. Right. Little did I know, but it shows that, you know, you've worked in popular culture. The power of media and how we use the platform is really, really important. Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to be for something that's going to uplift people or is it going to hurt people? So I think about that more than ever. I didn't realize the power that we had. I'll tell you a quick funny story since we're talking about hip-hop history. When the real world hit, the show was like, they told us not to go to malls. You're going to have people chasing you down the street. I was like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Two things happened. One, they brought us out to L.A. to the Video Music Awards for MTV back then. And this is the year of Michael Jackson, Howard Stern, Nirvana, Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was like mad famous people there. The seven of us showed up. At the VMAs, and these fans were screaming for us like we were like Michael, like the Jacksons or the mm-hmm. Beatles or something. We're like, yo, this is crazy. And then they gave the MTV people gave us like some um, what is it called Hershey's Kisses. They're like, don't throw this to your fans. We like for real. These people lost their minds. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> for real. We were like, yo. And then the second time, the other incident that happened was. Um, I was, uh, do you remember the Mondrian Hotel? It used to be on Sunset in mm-hmm. and, and, and West LA. I was standing out there with James Bernard, who's been the editor in chief of the Source magazine, and LL Cool J. LL Cool J. Just think about that for LL Cool J. Shout Ladies out. love. A group of women walk by, and I'm thinking, like, I'm like this little skinny dude. They're going to scream for LL. They scream for me. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin. I'm, looked, I'm embarrassed. I was like, word? And LL was like, man, you better go talk to your fans. I was like, oh. he was seasoned at that point. He was, I was like, okay. I'm he not. wasn't worried. He was like, you can have them. I'm like, he's buff, 200 pounds. I'm like 110 pounds. <laughs> 
it was hilarious. That's when I realized this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So reality, and I couldn't have, we couldn't have predicted. No one knew that this would become the a dominant genre in TV. We didn't mm -hmm. know. You know, we didn't know branding. The things we talk about now, branding, marketing, mm -hmm. product placement. It was none of that. It's just like. I had no idea, man. We had no idea. It's deep. It's deep what it's become. And it's a machine. It is. It's a machine, yeah. It's definitely influenced TikTok, Instagram, it's mm -hmm. Reels, because everyone films themselves now. And it's like, I remember when we were taping our season, like we'd be out on the streets in New York and people were, saw the cameras and like, what are y'all doing? I never knew. I couldn't have imagined people turning the cameras, literally turning these things on themselves and like, I'm just going to document stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? It's a phenomenon. It's a phenomenon. It's, it, it literally shifted the culture. It, it, and that's what's, and it's deep to be a part of American cultural history. I mean, I'm part of hip hop history, I guess you could say, that I'm part of this reality TV history, TV reality TV history. I, I, yeah, it's profound. Last word, well not last question, last word, yeah. hip hop. Making something out of nothing, winning on your own terms, for real. And since we're on the West Coast, I want I did a cover story on a, a brother named Calvin Broadus back in the day, Snoop <sighs> D-O-double-G. Okay. And if you'd have told me back then when I wrote that cover story on Snoop, that Snoop would be all over product placement, branding, all kinds of stuff, got his own wine. Wait, I mean, he's a spokesperson for Kim Kardashian Skims now. Did you see well, that? I saw that. <laughs> I was like, because remember when I interviewed Snoop and did a cover story of him, he was on trial for murder. Mm -hmm. And he reinvented himself. He survived that. It's profound, but hip hop is winning on your own terms. And Snoop is one of those examples that I think of. Like, man, this man has had a career that has lasted thirty years, and so, and the thing I'm proud of most with hip hop is that um, people said it was going to last. It was a fad, you know, that it was trash, it was garbage. And I'm like, nah, it's not trash. It's not garbage. This is our culture, mm -hmm. and we got to remember that it was created by working class poor kids from inner cities like myself. You know, be it here on the West Coast, you know, on the East Coast, other parts of the country, who were just trying to find their voices. You right. know. And people need to understand, too, like I saw a poster of Dr. King and his family when we were coming in here. Dr. King, at the end of his life, was telling us not to forget poor people. He had a poor people's campaign. Mm -hmm. Those same poor people created this culture called hip hop that's now turning 50 years old. Right. And it's the dominant culture all around the world. Right. And some of those poor kids are now billionaires. They're now billionaires. <laughs> you know, and I my my 15 books, including Grocery Shopping with My Mother, uh, My Life as a Journalist, My Life as a Speaker, all came because of the energy of hip hop. Wow. Yeah. Grocery Shopping with My Mother by Kevin Powell. It's a book of poems, a book of inspirations, and you'll definitely find your poem in this book. Go pick it up at Malik's Books, which is at the Baldwin Hills Mall, or you can go over to Fox Hills, known as Culver City Mall now, but we always call it Fox Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. This Thank was such so a great conversation so to have. Thank you for having me. All right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. All right. For the latest in Black news, you want to visit lasentinel.net. I'm D.L. Anderson, and you have just been debriefed. <laughs>